One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact in association with The Telegraph. We're back, we're back for a brand new season and this week I'm joined in the studio by The Telegraph's rugby news reporter, Gavin Mayers. Hi Gav. Evening Brian. Well, uh, I'm in a chipper mood because I'm looking forward to the season. I've enjoyed the weekend but one person who's not going to be enjoying any more the Premiership is Matt O'Connor because as we walked into the studio, news came from Leicester that they have departed company is the phrase. With Matt O'Connor, with immediate effect, which suggests to me he's been sacked, yes. frankly. Yep. Uh, Jordan Murphy will assume control of team affairs immediately alongside coaches Mark Bakewell, Boris Stankovic and Brett Deacon. Well, look, O'Connor is his second spell at the club, uh, reached the Premiership semi-finals uh, the year before last, and last year they finished fifth. All right, they got absolutely gubbed um, on Saturday, um, which obviously won't have helped his course, uh, not usual to go. I mean, even accounting for the fact it was Exeter, 40 points to six is not good for them. However, it's a strange time to do it, isn't it? It is. It's very, very swift. Um, we, we touched on the subject last year, Brian, about the kind of this sense of, of football, the way, the way clubs, football managers feel, short-termism. Uh, we saw quite a number of people leave last year. I, I think when I saw the manner of the defeat, I saw the size of the defeat, I thought... He's he's under serious pressure, but I I am surprised that the club have acted after one round of of the Premiership. When you think of all the planning that would have put put in place exactly. over the summer, and uh, as you say, Exeter are a superb side; they can they can tear anyone apart. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see. I notice that they don't mention about looking for another candidate. So whether Jordan Murphy has been given this job for the season will be an interesting point. It looks like it. He he has. It looks been. like he has. Yeah. You, you also know, wonder in these circumstances whether. I mean, I hate to uh, attribute nefariousness to anybody, but this seems like an almost um, you know shove out of the door, really. And I'm not saying that anyone's directly contributed to it, but if it is to be an internal appointment. What I just can't understand is is how you can't see problems that are there one week before this. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just, I feel either someone has got no grasp of reality at all, or they knew this was coming, and therefore why even start the season with him? Absolutely. I mean, it just. I think if you're if you're talking about um, judging a man on on you know on results on progress. There must be some issues behind the scenes mm. of unhappiness of how the club finished last season. Yeah, but Leicester have not been tearing up trees for a few seasons now. Yeah. I mean, look, they've got, to be fair to them, they've got such a 
an extraordinary record in, in domestic and European rugby you know, in the relatively recent past. That it's going to be difficult to live up to that, but they haven't hit the heights um, for, what, well, a good three, four years now? Yeah, yeah. I, and I think... You know the club have made a massive uh, investment in the stand there. Mm-hmm. The, the the supporters demand success. It, it is a, it's one of those institutions you compare it to say a Man United in the Premiership at the minute. They can't get it right despite their size and, mm-hmm. and, and appointing different managers to try and find a way through. Jordan Murphy is a is a Leicester Tiger inside out. He, and I mean they win a lot when he was playing. Yeah, he knows the winning formula. He knows what it takes. Um, I think the appointment of Mark Bakewell as well was a very good one in terms of uh, strengthening the backroom staff. He, he's got a very, he's you know, um, I've heard lots of good reports about the, the impact he's had mm-hmm. there. So I, I must admit, uh, I can't remember a sacking after one one match. No, I even can't. even going back to when Northampton had those bad. Well, look, this isn't even happening in football. I mean, I, I don't as a football manager being sacked yet. I don't think they have as well. No four. Four have been sacked. I've been told by the way that four have been sacked. So maybe we are going that way. Look, well, well, we will see, and that's all you can say. What we can also say is that usual suspects of Exeter and Saracens and tantalisingly possibly Gloucester, who've been highly touted, might well be competing for the big prizes at the end of the season. Look, I think Dean Richards was fairly sanguine about the fact that uh, Newcastle managed to take him close. Yeah, uh, He knows how difficult... It's going to be to even replicate last season, I think, because they had a, a really good run. But the, the, you know they they took Saris quite close, and I always felt that Saris had an extra gear. Yeah, as yeah. indeed it turned out to be when yeah. they were finally put to the the metal later on, and you know they were very closely aligned. And then he just ran away and scored another try. But what I tell you, the big talking point out of this is Nicky Gomber. Yeah, I now, knew this would come up. <laughs> those people who didn't see this, what happened was ball goes behind the goal line. Nicky Gonover ostensibly goes to touch the ball down, which would have meant a 22, yep. but he touched the ball on his toe. So he didn't actually touch that, so he's entitled to do what he did, which was run the length of the field and score. But the referee did call a 22 because he thought he'd done it. Now, he called it back, didn't he? He did. And he called it back for what would he term it? Okay, the referee? I'll find it right for you here now, Brian. It was I a strange see. term to me. So it was a, a game values offence? A game values offence, which is a catch-all for I can do anything I want if I don't like it. The referees, and the fact is, I tell. But I just said this. Look, the people were saying, you know, did Robert Lodge Delalio was saying he thought it was out of order. Um, other people, Uga Monia, didn't think that. I, I just say this. What is the difference between that and when a try scorer goes in, shields the ball, pretends to put it down, yeah. but doesn't, and then gets up and runs into the post? Yeah. And Richard Bath and his his Telegraph report today even talks about the sleight of hand. A dummy. Yeah. Is a sleight of hand. Absolutely. Is that, is that a games value offence? Now, just because the referee couldn't see it, well, maybe they ought to be looking. Maybe the touch judge ought to be, the assistant referee ought to be looking as to whether he's actually touched it down. If they're saying it was impossible to uh, actually define and see whether the offence had been done, he could easily say, blow his whistle and say, wait a minute, I'm not sure, yeah. straight away. Yeah. I mean, that would effectively stop it anyway. Yeah. But to me, that is no more deceitful, and no more nefarious oh, it's cl- than it's cl- the, the, the example I gave. I thought it was clever. Everything in rugby is, is a deceit. You have you know, oh, runners, runners coming through the midfield yeah. trying to yeah. pin down defenders. Um, and the other thing is, well, if it was a penalty and against the game's values, why, why didn't he give a penalty against him? Because I think he gave a dropout, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's not consistent. To yeah, me. no, it's. Uh, but what? What's... That's just I've been embarrassed and oh, um, uh, you go right, come back. I don't know what to do now. <laughs> but uh, what? What? What covers this? Well, we'll find something. 
Oh, well, good luck to Gulliver. Um, but it didn't, it didn't work. But that was an extraordinary thing. Like, uh, Gloucester, everyone's yes. talking about... I think people went temporarily mad over this uh, this, this weekend because <laughs> people, I think, have been starved for so long that, that I don't know whether it's a carry on for the Football World Cup. People say extraordinary things like, this game was the best, this is the best pass I've ever seen. No, no, it wasn't. It was a very good pass, yes. actually. Um, and and it was a, you know, a great performance on the front foot from Danny Cipriani with... Uh, with what we know that they they and Gloucester can do actually absolutely and if you, I think I think to be fair to the commentators upon it there the Cipriani's backstory in the yes, summer yes. and also don't forget the last competitive game we saw him play was for England when he had a moment of magic with a kick for Johnny yes. May to score yes. to beat the, yes. the Springboks it was it was fascinating to see him come in with all the, all the backdrop of that he was well received it was, it was funny going into the standing up front of the shed for the first time he talked about uh, in an interview before the incident in Jersey about how he used to get abused by the shed and now he's looking forward to having them join the club side. mate yeah. I tell you what that's a, you can't claim that's a, a singular thing for God's sake Danny but uh, so to throw that pass uh, in front of the shed uh, I think made him an instant hero I'll tell you what is legend. interesting about the uh, comment from Ed Slater the club captain was where he said look off the field we backed Danny to the hill and we know the truth behind what happened in Jersey um whether that truth came out in court, I don't know. Um, things can get all sorts of tangled up. But the fact is, the, 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 it's the same, actually, as it has been for Gloucester for, for at least three years. We know they've had creative backs. We know when they play well, they can do well. Have they been able to put forward the right physical presence up front to do that? I think they're getting there. They were getting there last year. Yeah. They're getting closer. But that elusive thing about the consistency is still to be proven. Yeah. Once they start doing that, you know, all bets are off in terms of, of where they might get to. Certainly you could look at top four, but they have a lot more to do yet to convince, I think, everybody. And actually, I think they know this. Yeah, they do. And well. I, it was an ugly win for them uh, on Saturday, if we're being sort of realistic, but it was an important win. Northampton was a game that they could easily have lost, might have lost that last season. I yeah. think they wanted to get four points. They've got some serious firepower up front this season that they're bringing in. Mm-hmm. I think there's four South Africans weren't involved in the match day squad that they've bought in and they've spent some serious money this year. I think mm-hmm. they know this is the time that they really have to get themselves in the top four. And the interesting thing will be to see can these forwards, because we talk about Cipriani, mm-hmm. but as you say, uh, he doesn't have front football, he doesn't have a pack that mm-hmm. can deliver that. Uh, it, it won't be enough for them to challenge, but I think they look like they're equipped to do so. Well, uh, looking on the other side of that particular fixture, Northampton, it was talked widely before the season by most uh, pundits and experts that uh, they, along with Quinns, were an unknown, was something that um, there was too many imponderables to find out exactly uh, why they might go without seeing quite a lot more of them. And I think what you saw with Northampton is uh, no change in that particular statement. I think I think so. It's very early days for Chris Boyd. I think if you look at the, the, the trauma of last season, a lot of change, coaches going. Chris Boyd coming from the Southern Hemisphere, it was interesting to hear him talk about uh, the penalty count. Now, he was talking about 30 penalties. I think that must have included free kicks as well. But... He was bewildered by the, the penalty count. Um, and I think Andrik Brousseau, again... Well, he gave six away on his own. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the, well, but, but, I mean, that was one of the reasons that he, that uh, the South African coaches said that he wasn't 
You know, he, yeah. he was not necessarily as favoured as he might be. Yes, and he's got to adapt. You know, that's the problem. There's no point being this this scavenger at the breakdown if you're conceding six penalties. I mean, that's 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 like a yellow card offence on its own. Um, no, I, I think it's early days. What I hear is it's been positive start. He's he's bringing a sort of positive influence. It's, if you can imagine, the dressing room was probably quite. Um, downbeat last year uh, they haven't fulfilled the potential the last two or three years he's trying to get players to see the positives in their yeah. game and and, and, and um, you know he comes with a great reputation and it'll just be interesting to see how he sort of micromanages the short yeah. term but then also spills for, for, for this season because Northampton we, we you know we talk about Leicester Northampton another club uh, the wrong end of the table last year, and they have a great fan base, a great stadium, and they demand success. And you know, it'll be, he, it won't be without pressure, but I think he he will have time to try and mould the squad in in his shape. Okay, well, uh, we I mentioned in the same bracket as Northampton, uh, Harlequins, and I'm pleased to say we can now speak to Alex Codling, who is the Quinns' former coach, England former second row, who I know from a long time ago. How are you, Alex? I'm very well, Brian. How are you? Not too bad. Now, you joined very recently from uh, Left Ealing Trail Finders. Paul Gusted, what's he like to work with? Fantastic. I have to say, uh, Paul and I have known each other for nigh on 20 years, Brian, playing against each other. Uh, and of late, uh, he's been very uh, supportive in, in uh, professional development from my perspective as I look to uh, different ideas. And um, he's brought a real drive, uh, energy to, to Quinns. And as I said, I'm really enjoying working with him with Mark Mapletoft, uh, with Adam Jones and with Nick Evans. So, uh, so far, it's been a really enjoyable experience. What are the big differences of your family? I mean, you're relatively new to the position, but between premiership and championship coaching? Well, I think it's the level of, the level of detail, Brian. Obviously, you're working with uh, internationals and they've, obviously the guys have, have returned back uh, recently from the, from the tour to South Africa. And um, just, as I said, the pre- preparation time in terms of the intensity of the training, um, the transitions and as I said just, just the detail really obviously the, the margins are so small uh, in the premiership and it's looking at the, the areas we can we can get those small gains in during the week uh, making sure that the players are all up to speed in terms of the game plan and how we want to play and, and obviously then for the players to implement that at the weekend mm-hmm. Well I mean a, uh, a winning margin of 51-23 is obviously uh, pleasing uh, however I do have to say when I watched uh, the game back uh, on TV. I, I wondered whether the, uh, the the tackling was on the red button because uh, I couldn't see any. Uh, that was unusual. And certainly Steve Diamond, who was actually quite friendly and candid after the game in his post-match interview when he said, look, you know, we just didn't tackle well and uh, Quinn's put us away. How much of that was, uh, w- was good, uh, good play on your part and, and simply you know, poor defensive work on behalf of Sale? Well, obviously we'd look at it from our perspective first and foremost. I think the boys... Um, had real intensity, uh, real intent at the weekend. And uh, I think the supporters recognise that as well. I mean, the atmosphere at the Stoop on Saturday was fantastic. And but we, we can only control what we can control. And as I said, the boys really, uh, the periods in the game, um, really got on the front foot. And obviously there, there were a few missed tackles. But for us, if we work hard and our, and our conversion rate in, in the 22 was obviously very pleasing. And for us, it's just making sure we can uh, create those soft edges trying to create mismatches and obviously we did that at times on Saturday and uh, ultimately it was, it was a great start for us. Alex says Gavin Mayer is here. I, I, obviously you're in charge of the forwards but um, probably wouldn't need to make mention of Marcus Smith's performance as well. You must have been delighted with his ability to, to accumulate the points uh, in such a sort of positive manner. 
Oh, good evening, Gavin. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's the first time I've, I've had the pleasure of working with Marcus. He's a he's got uh, an old head on young shoulders. He's a delight to work with. Uh, incredibly driven. Um, always looking at his game and how he can get better and how he can drive the team. And, and as you said, you, you saw that in, in large patches at the weekend. And he was he was one of the heartbeats of the team. And it's just just it's great to see someone playing with so much confidence. And over the summer, Alex, I'm just fascinated to know what sort of the focus that you had in, in training, the pre the sort of pre-season focus um, coming into a new squad that had had sort of some tough times last year. What, what was the sort of what sort of message were you trying to get across to to the forwards? Just in terms of our expectations, yeah. uh, the intensity we work out during the week, what we expect of the players, how they how they train. Uh, I said there's, there's been a huge buy-in from the players, a huge amount of energy. Uh, we've had a lot of fun along the way, um, but certainly just trying to change the mindset um, across the group, um, realizing we have real quality players, and just trying to get the best out of them and and, and the quality of work. Uh, the sessions are short but really intense. We've had a real focus in terms of our transitions, so a real focus on not having the, the slow periods in between the, the different segments of training, trying to replicate those match periods and, and match intensity. And as I said, look, it's, it's taken; uh, it'll take a bit of time. And the pre-season, and I said the boys have worked incredibly hard, and we, we were delighted with the start on Saturday. But we also realised, Gavin, that it is only one game, uh, and we, we face a really tough uh, test on Friday at Franklin's Gardens. But certainly, the boys are looking forward to it. Well, it's, you have direct responsibility for this area, which I'm going to now speak about. And up front, I've always felt with Quinns in the, well, actually for several seasons and maybe more, that Quinns have had about three quarters of a pack that's powerful enough to compete at the very highest levels. And whether it's through injury or just not being there uh, and at different positions at different times, they've just had one or two players who physically... Not albeit for any talent they've had, have not physically been able to do that. And in particular, sometimes in the scrum, which is uh, strange when you consider that Joe Marler is there, Carl Sinclair is there, but now you've got uh, Autorak and Will Collier and so on. Um, do you think that that particular problem has been rectified or would you still like to augment that? I think certainly, Brian, I think it's, it's the same with any club. I think we're trying to get the best out of the players. I think we recognise that Obviously, we can't control what's gone on before, but we're aware of probably the perception from the outside. Um, and all we're trying to do really is just trying to strip everything back. Myself, uh, Adam Jones doing the scrum, he's doing a great job, um, as was shown on Saturday. So we're, we're just trying to really strip everything back, look at everything from a from really deep perspective. And then obviously the, the, the cultural side and the, and the drive and the ambition ultimately comes from the players. I think that the want to go out there and play on a Saturday, the want to perform, I'd, ultimately this game is, is about physicality and, and the collisions. And um, we, we had that on Saturday. I think the challenge for us, for us as a group, and that it's just that drive every week, home and away. And obviously, we'll, we'll be. It's a huge test on Friday at Franklin's Gardens, uh, and I think it'll be a good barometer in terms of for us going forward. Because ultimately, over the last couple of years, uh, I think it's well known that our away record hasn't been the best. Yeah, just talking about that particular one. Um, Saints are in a, a, quite a similar position in a sense. They've got a lot of managerial changes, and some of the. Uh, older players um, and the the stalwarts there, you know, are looking to to bow out. Where do you think you'd be looking to challenge them? I think look, first and foremost, the, the set piece battle is going to be massive, uh, as, as you as you know from uh, historically the, in their DNA in terms of the set piece, the scrum and the driving mall um, is, is a key element of their game and has been during the preseason. So again, that that challenge for us up front will be will be massive. But they've also got Dan Bigger at ten. Uh, we, we know his qualities and I know you spoke about Heinrich Rousseau earlier on about the breakdown. So, so all, all these key areas for us, I think it, it's really important we start well. We, we're obviously aware of the new era um, and that's 
it's their first game at Franklin's Garden. So, I mean, I, I played there as a player and, and the atmosphere is fantastic. So for us, it's really challenging ourselves and trying to repeat the levels that we saw from the players on Saturday. And us as a coaching staff, as I said, Paul, Paul is incredibly driven and motivated, uh, as we all are as a coaching group. And I think that's, it's, it's making sure we, we, we back up Saturday because ultimately, as, as good as it was, it is only one game. OK, Alex. Well, can I just wish you the uh, best of luck? Thank you very much. Thanks, Alex. Thank you very Alex. much, gentlemen. Nice to speak to you. Sale, their opponents, obviously. Back three, potentially one of the most destructive in, well, in, in, in possibly in Europe, actually, if yep. they get it right. Um, but missing someone. Missing someone because it's happened again. I can't, look, I, 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 you know Chris Ashton, so do I. You've met him, so have I. I really like Chris Ashton. Yep. I think he's disarmingly honest, almost to the point of, 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 of naivety at times. And all I can consider is, you know, when people say, well, I don't know what was going through his mind when he did this. Well, the answer is nothing. Because at times he just doesn't think. I mean, to, to a certain extent, you can uh, say it's a pre-season game. Perhaps he didn't realise. Well, he ought to have realised getting sent off in a pre-season game is exactly the same as how you can get, you can get binned. Yeah. But these things, you know, he misses games and he... He's like he's like Dylan Hartley, who just an idiot virus comes over him, and you think I, I, I can't. There's only so much I can take of this. Come on, Chris, you 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 came back for for whatever reasons. One of the reasons was to try and charge for an England place, and now you're going to have like two games. Yeah. To to put it there, and I, I, how many more times do you have to to suffer these indignities and these setbacks before it gets through? And the, and given his age, they're probably not going to. Yeah, it's so funny. I mean, can you imagine Steve Diamond's frustration, Chris Ashton's own frustration, missing? It's just incredible the timing of these incidents because the, the bands before when he was going to be involved with Six Nations and then he, at every time of the, over the Eddie Jones tenure, certainly that um, the bands have just taken him out of out of contention for selection. He's gone to France. He's been brilliant in France. He's come back, and I think I think. To be fair to Ashton, and I think Eddie Jones will have been impressed by his commitment to play for England, the fact that he wanted to come back to England at this stage in his career. It would have been, when I think when he left for France, he didn't think he'd come back and he realised he missed the international stage mm-hmm. more than he probably thought he did. And But as you say, just to get the season up and running, a huge autumn for England and to be out of the domestic season... Uh, at that point, it just leaves Jones left. You know, what can he do? Can wait, he... Wait, I mean, he must be tearing what little hair out he, he has got left because this keeps happening in in prime positions. And you, well, he's paid a lot of money and he's he's got to get on with it. But um, we, and we, look, let's let's shelve that bit because we'll go on to talk about England uh, England later on. But um, you know, Sale again, very similar to Gloucester. They've they, they they've got additions. They could prove to be. You know, very good additions, but again, that consistency is, is what they need. That's not an ideal. Uh, that's not an ideal start for them. But let's go to Bath and Bristol, because that kicked off the season. Record crowd at Ashton Gate. Fabulous. Great to see yeah. that. Fabulous. Yeah. However, when you're talking about um, the silly season, I mean, for a hardened hack like our mate Stephen Jones <laughs> to say this is one of the best games I've ever seen, and I just wonder if he got carried away by the uh, the atmosphere there, because. From an extent, you know, from an outside disinterested point of view, yeah, it was great to see Bristol back. Yeah, because I played there. You know, when Doubleday and Hesford, and you know, people, you know, great player Paledri and 
Even Barnsley was there. Even Bar- that's how old I am. Yeah. Barnsley was still playing there. You know, it's just great to see them back. But, you know, the overlap they missed in the first half, which should have been under the post, if they play sides who are much more ruthless than Bath, and let's face it, nearly everyone's going to be more ruthless than Bath were, yeah. um, then they'll come unstuck. So, so, but they know that. They need to do that. Yeah. I think Pat Lamb will have been pleased with the fact they created chances and they kept going and, they, you know, they, they showed that fortitude. That's undoubtedly there. Um, and the fact that I think physically they didn't get get beaten. Yeah. So they've got they've got all those plus points. Yeah. I, I think, you know, I think the, the, over, the sort of overriding emotion I took, you see 26,000 there at Ashton Gate. You talk about the atmosphere. You yeah. talk about this is a genuine club. We've seen London Welsh come up and down, go out of business. Oh, no, Bristol this, have a big pedigree. This looks like... They're, they're in a very good place. They've got great financial backer in Steve Lanzon. They've got a very good coach in Pat Lamb. Mm-hmm. They're building. And to get that whole sense of optimism off yeah. with a victory in the matter. In a West Country derby. West well. Country derby. Bath should have won the game. You're right. Um, they they will be wondering. Uh, the v- video review this morning will not have been pretty. Well, one of the reasons, I don't know how many times we have to say this. Take the points. Take the points in games that are going to be close. Because not only... If you get in the lead, does it put pressure on the other side? But you change your mindset completely. If you go to the corner and you don't get there, that is a real fillip for the opposition and it's a real blow to you. Just get the points. And this is not a question to me of simple mismanagement. It's a question of arrogance. And I genuinely think they thought, well, Bristol, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get chances against them so we can, we can afford to do this. No, get in front, then say that. Yeah, and it's a big season for Todd Blackadder. You know, we talk about pressure on Well, he coaches. must, I mean, in his DNA, Todd Blackadder is not the sort of person who comes out after a game and tries to find the positives and says, you know, I did, you know, I'm on a journey. You know. yeah. he's, he's a Kiwi. They don't like losing. Yeah. They're mad. Yeah. They, 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 and, you know, I, I, I'm almost waiting for him to explode <laughs> and just say, I've had enough of this. I really have. This is pathetic. Because Bath... Of all clubs, they've had it. Look, look, we all know they brought the salary cap. We all know they've been spending. But the fact is that they've had massive investment. They've not spent it wisely. And they're as bad, they're as far behind as they were two, three seasons ago at the moment. Yeah, I, I will res- reserve judgment at this point after one game. But what we didn't see, and that was the alarming bit, was more of a ruthless instinct because they have a squad there. They have talent. Yep. But we are not seeing them as they didn't last season. Uh, at the at the sort of white heat points of matches. Well, let's just put it this deliver. way: Saracens wouldn't have done that. Neither would Exeter. Yeah, and that just shows you that they 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 don't look like ready to contend for the title. And and top four is going to be a push now. With and just on a wider point, let's just leave it because we're going to talk about the uh, Guinness Pro Fourteen in a minute. But on a wider point, look, Bristol's ascension to the the highest table in English domestic rugby is welcome in this sense. They are. Uh, a, a big brand could be a big brand. They can call themselves what they want. The Bears, I don't, I don't care. It's not, you know, that, that's for kids. You know, and, 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 you know, frankly, he's probably an accountant, the guy who, who dresses up, or, or an actuary, because that'll be the highlight of their every, every week. Um, so, the, you know, the fact is that that sort of branding, that sort of crowd, that sort of investment, I absolutely really welcome. The point I'm just going to make is this. We all know there are power blocks in the Premiership, and there are two. And there's one that's trying to break the salary cap, and there's ones who are trying to, in my opinion, sensibly say, look, if that happens, well, you can forget a competitive league in terms of more than five or six clubs. And by the way, just remember, at Bath, you might not be the richest owner in the end. 
So you want to be careful as well. And I just wonder, they've, they've a potential to be a very positive force, they've a potential to push the league in a, in a, in a, into a place where I'm pretty sure it, in, it's not in its interest to go long term. My one, my most positive thought going into this season is this this Premiership looks like being one of the best we've had. You, you, you ask who's going to be relegated this year and you have to think about it. Mm-hmm. And that's what Bristol have done. But Brian, you're so right about the financial pressures across the board that rugby can't afford to get ahead of itself. Um, in in thinking of one or two individuals who have money that it, it, the club can't sustain the spending levels. And, you know, we spoke to the RFU chief executive, Stephen Brown, in, in July, and he was talking about the, the wage inflation cannot go on at this level. And as much as we love to see all the stars coming into Bristol and them spending lots of money, there has to be a broader sense because the Premiership is a brilliant product. It's a brilliant competitive league, but as you say, it's only as strong as its weakest link. And if you, if one or two or three or four clubs keep pushing the salary cap up, that that chain is going to snap at some stage. Well, let's move um, to the Guinness Pro Fourteen, and I think we're going to be able to speak to James Downey, the former Island Munster, Leinster Saints, Glasgow centre. Are you there, James? I am, Dave Ryan. How are you? Hello, I'm all right, mate. Now. Um, Let's let's get this out of the way. The, the the fact that Leinster can can pick a team which has let's face it not too many of their regulars into it, but still go down and beat Cardiff. On the one hand, you could say, um, well, look, it's for everyone else in the league to get their act together so they can beat sides um, that are put out that you could say are under strength. So it's not Leinster's fault. I can understand that. On the other hand, you can say, actually, if you're paying uh, money to see that and you are a broadcaster, you might not be so happy. So what are your thoughts on those two points? Yeah, it's, it's quite an interesting one. I think when you look at the squad depth that Leinster have, like, you know, it's there's three players there that started the, the European Cup final against Racing um, were involved, I guess. Um, it is the strength and depth that they have there mm-hmm. now that these players and the IRFU have such control over players that mm-hmm. they don't actually put them forward for games and they really look after them, which is to the benefit of the national setup, uh, as you can see. Um, but yeah, I can understand the point of view of you're paying a lot of money to, to watch TV and you want to see the big stars play week in, week out. And I think sometimes it's highlighted, especially around Christmas time when the derbies are on. And, yes. And they normally have a, a Leinster-Munster game in the Aviva and it's, it's normally sold out. But And normally it's the week before European, so... All, all the heavy hitters are normally back but the last couple of years they've actually rested a few of them and people have been a bit disgruntled with it but um, you do want to see the best players playing every week but it, again it's the RFU who control it so it's uh, it's to the benefit of the national mm-hmm. setup ultimately uh, and this is look young Leinster players get to play and this is mm-hmm. uh, why we have the strength and depth Well given that strength in depth it's very tempting like with Saracens in the uh, Premiership to say well, um, you'd be a bit of a fool or you wouldn't bet much money against Leinster being there or even taking uh, the title again. I know, it's, I know it's very, very, very early days, but that sort of strengthening depth bodes very well indeed, doesn't it? Yeah, it certainly does. And I, I, when you look at the, the two different leagues as well, you know, it's the attritional league and the, and the premiership of week in, week out and, and, and ultimately the club's in control of the players. So they're going to have them playing every week while... Yeah. In the Pro 14, they have that, I guess, luxury of resting a lot of players. Or if you, as I say, control all the players and the contracts, 
So they don't have to put out necessarily the strongest team every week, um, but they can still manage to qualify. And then those players ultimately are fresher for the European competition, which is held in such high regard in, in Ireland. Uh, James, it's Gavin here. I'm just, just wondering, out of, out of the, I know it's very early days, but out of the chase, you know, the, the, the rivals to Leinster, do you have any sense of, of who might be their, their biggest challengers this season? I think you don't have to stray too far from you're going to look at Scarlet again with the yeah. Welsh contingents when they when they have it back. Glasgow have kind of slipped off a little bit. Uh, again, they they snuck away with a win against Connacht at the weekend, luckily enough. But um, I think they'll be thereabouts. And then what could be interesting actually is how Munster go. Um, yeah. They've made some interesting signings with Ty Byrne back from Scarlet and Joey Carberry. And uh, Joey only played 25 minutes, half an hour at the weekend. But I guess Van Graham's had his uh, his hands on the squad for the first time rather than taking over halfway during the year. So he yeah. wants to put his own imprint on things. So I think it's kind of the usual suspects in there again. And, and look, I completely I agree with that you can kind of look at, at Leinster's still being that flag bearer both in, in the Pro 14 and in Europe. 38 uh, no win against Cheetahs and uh, the Southern Kings also went down. Now, this happened early on uh, last season. The South African uh, team's didn't perform that well, but later on, you know, Cheetahs sort of did. I suppose it must be very strange um, when the players around you in the other parts of the country are playing, you know, a Curry Cup rugby and they're playing, uh, you know, for their uh, franchises and then even for in the, uh, you know, in the rugby championship, the international thing down there, and you're doing pre-season. How do you cope with that? Yeah, yeah, I know. It's quite (laughs) strange, isn't it? But... It's look, it's it is what it is, and that's the way they have it. And look, Cheetahs again, they have they have ten players, ten new debutants who played at the weekend, and they got their act together towards the end of the year. Initially, I thought at the start of last season that it was a bit of a disaster, but in fairness, like the Kings have a bit of work to do. I still think it's a different game to to get used to up Northern Hemisphere, but the Cheetahs managed to do it last year, and and were very entertaining. But again, yeah, it's it's quite a strange uh, environment for them to be in when they're actually training, and then. Uh, the other team are kind of two separate teams for say and then when these guys come back then do they get shoved aside so it's it's some interesting logistics and the man management to deal with down there And James do you think ultimately we're going to have to look at um, the South African teams being in the mix for qualification for the Champions Cup um, I know they were trying to push it last the South African Union were trying to push that last year but sort of to make the, the, the tournament I suppose complete or consistent it, it, do you think that's a, f- a fair route, or would you would you oppose that? Um, I actually do, I actually do. I think, yeah. it, but it just depends on what they're going to do um, with Super Rugby. If they're going to stay involved down there, or if they're going to wholly commit to maybe joining a, a full Pro 14, or if they're going to extend it to 16, or or whatever way they're going to look at it. But I guess I'm sure the Cheetahs would certainly love to have played. They kind of earned the right last year yeah. by. Uh, by by qualifying as such, and then a, a team below them will, will will qualify automatically because they're just in the position. So it's it can take a little bit off it, but ultimately when you're playing, you look at the Premiership again, and it's it's gone to top six now, and teams push so much harder when there's something at stake. There's never a game when there's nothing at stake, be it a relegation battle, or you might have one or two teams for, um, perhaps in a bit of mid-table mediocrity or whatever. But I think ultimately, if you have a team still fighting with something there, it just makes it. So much more enjoyable to watch. Uh, James, the fact that both Italian uh, sides won is not usual. You, you can't say that um, hardly for any weeks. Now, do you think that is indicative of 
an improvement in standards from previous years or just the product of it being first outings? No, I think if you look at Zebra last year, uh, Michael Bradley, they produced some good rugby last year and got some good results um, from where they were before. So I think um, they've been kind of tipping away. Look, we, we've seen them, they produce one-off performances, don't they, in, mm. in, uh, in Europe, but ultimately they're just not quite there. I think they've had a bigger focus this year. Um, Treviso um, had a nice away win at the Dragons. Uh, could be a long year for Bernard Jackman at the Dragons. Um, but... I do think they're getting a bit better. I think Zebra now have overtaken Treviso even. Um, and they're producing a lot more internationals from their side of things. But look, uh, hopefully they needed to do something in the setup. You know, I think yeah. they were in danger of actually slipping out of the, the Pro 14 if the South African teams hadn't come in because they weren't. They were propping up the table every year. And, um, and, and even in Europe when we had them, like it was always nearly a kind of, you look at that as a five-pointer and mm-hmm. if you look at some of the groups and if you had an Italian team, you'd always say, well, look, there are going to be two wins and it's not like that anymore. Yeah. Well, James, thank, can I just thank you for, for that great insight. Come back and join us later in the season. Thank you very much. Thanks, James. Cheers, guys. James Downey, the former Ireland Munster, led to Saints and Glasgow Centre. Well, we were talking earlier on about Messrs Cipriani and Ashton, two of the bad boys of English rugby. To be honest, when you look at their rap sheets, they are fairly consistent, but... What gets me is they're fairly petty in a sense. You know, I, could, I, I remember saying to Dylan Hartley once, you know, one of the problems is your, your link list of offences sounds terrible. Gouging, biting, you know, but you've never hurt anybody. You, you know, if you're going to do it, do it properly. <laughs> um, and it, it seems to me the same. I, you were talking about Eddie Jones. I tell you what, it's as simple as this with Eddie. Um, he will, if he wants not to pick them, he can use these things against them. And if he wants to pick them, he'll just ignore them. Yeah, simple yeah. as that. Yeah, which is why I said earlier about about Ashton. Um, I think it will mean more to him that he wanted to come back and play for him than it will yeah. that he's been sent off in a preseason game. So in that sense, it may not be as as critical as it may be perceived at this mm-hmm. point of the season. But um, it's whether any fancies him or not, and that'll be key. Well, look, he's got. I mean, he's got enough problems anyway. I mean, at least since we last talked, they've actually won a test match, which yep. is. He's very, very welcome. But to, to not have a full-time attack and defence coach is, to me... Look, I'll just say this. A year out from a World Cup, I did not expect England to have not sorted out the back three, the centres, the back row, and to have two fairly major omissions and absentees in their coaching structure. Now, who's to blame for that? I don't know in absolute minutiae, but Eddie Jones at the end is culpable because he's in charge and he's paid a lot of cash to get these things right. I'm sure that he's not happy about that, ideally. He won't admit that he's not happy. I don't think so. But it's not where they want to be. It's not where they should be, is it? Brian, you you think back to as recently as last November, um, I was in Monte Carlo to see Eddie Jones get World Coach of the Year and they'd have incredible two years. We were looking ahead to this autumn's game against the All Blacks as first v second, a, 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 re, a pre-run of the potential World Cup final in Japan. Um, to see where England are now from, from that point is remarkable in its sort of decline of what we thought were was a superpower. Gav, do you know yeah. where they actually are? Because I'm not sure. Because I, I, I can still see, on the one hand, I can still see some very talented players. 
more, more talent in their potential first choice squad than Scotland and Wales. Wales arguably are more arguable than Scotland. Probably not Ireland, but I don't know how, even if they're all fit and available and on form, how they might play. And that's the problem for me. Yeah. I, I think another big problem, Brian, is depth. Everybody, every international coach says, going into World Cup, I want two world-class players in, a, in each position stuff. With England, in a number of key positions, you take out the likes of Benny Vinopola. If you took out Owen Farrell, for example, you see them struggle. And I think it's, 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 if England have everyone fit and we've still got like Tulangi could come into the, you know, there is a lot of powerhouse runners there. Tio could be fit for long enough. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, we, we've got Tom Curry coming through. One of the, one of the few plus points of the South Africa tour to see a, a guy like that. Have we got a genuine open side? Is Danny Cipriani now going to mature? 30 uh, he's he's probably got one World Cup left in him he's pushed his way back into the international stage but that in itself leaves a question about what do you do with George Ford what do you do with Owen Farrell in the midfield Uh, a question we didn't expect to be looking for an answer to as you say just over a year to Japan and I can't think of a more critical four months if we look back to 2015 um, even with England's lack of Grand Slams you could see a direction. You could see well co- coming up, Lancashire's... coming up in this, this these autumns. I don't think they'll beat New Zealand. I don't think there's any disgrace in that at the moment because yeah. New Zealand are comfortably the best team in the world. Ireland possibly second, I would think. But if they can't beat South Africa and Australia at home, then all hell will break loose. I think it does. Look, his yeah. job, his job, his job is not in jeopardy, is it? Because it was pointless sacking someone this close to it. And who is the replacement anyway? Yeah. I, I think the problem I think the problem for Jones will be just the focus at Twickenham. I mean, we, the, losing the back end of the Six Nations, there was quite a bit of pressure. Losing in South Africa in June when everybody's watching other sports is a different matter when the whole world, the whole of the English sporting public will be mm-hmm. looking at England in November. It's such a big game against New Zealand. And I think... It wouldn't be a disgrace to lose New Zealand, but it'll be the manner of how they play. Exactly. If they get gubbed, then there are a lot of questions. But bearing in mind that Ireland have taken them close, you know, and and Wales away took them close for at least 60 minutes of of two or two out of three games, they really cannot afford to go down. Even though New Zealand are quite capable of doing that, as they've done to Australia already. Quite capable of putting 40, 50 points on, on anyone if they, if they're in the mood and, and you're not quite on, on your metal. Yeah. For me, Jones has got to sort out the backroom staff. It can't be good for players not to quite know what the direction is. No, exactly. Who's in charge. Yeah. You, know, got, you know, there's a camp coming up in four weeks. There needs well, to be Well, especially defensive systems now because, yeah. you know, one of the areas in which I've tried to, you know, I've done a lot, you know, made sure I've done a lot of work trying to speak to current coaches to keep up with this because you need to because it develops so quickly. The defensive systems change, you know, year on year slightly, but over a period of two or three years, they are vastly different. And they take uh, quite a while to do it. Gusted at Quinns, I think in the end, one of Quinns' problems has always been, certainly for uh, the last several years, is they've always conceded too many points. No matter how many they score, they've always conceded lots. And, you know, and you, in the end, you can't carry on doing that. And I think that will tighten up, but it will take time. Yeah. yeah. And if you, you translate that into an England setup, where they're all coming from different 
yeah. defensive background, yeah. and you've got to build it in so it's almost well, it has to be instinctive because that's what scrambling, uh, you know, and uh, defenses are, are about uh, running the right lines when you're in under pressure and you're not organised. Uh, uh, that that yeah. that does take time. Yeah, um, and Brian, if you look at what happened with New Zealand the last two World Cups. The stability they had, mm-hmm. the heavyweight coaches—they almost had three head coaches mm-hmm. rotating. Everyone knew, and they're all there again. Was challenging, they were all there again. This is not how New Zealand would do prepare for a World Cup. Um, and I would say this, and my kind of summary from the 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 tour to South Africa was that there is still time. A year is a very long time. Australia were in chaos. Well, it's a very long time I, in I, certain <laughs> certain respects. Yes. For good or bad. Yeah. But if you look at, say, Australia as an example, going into the 2015 World Cup a year out, mm-hmm. they were a shambles. Yeah. They came and they made a World Cup final. They beat England at Twickenham. There is plenty of time to turn things around. But as I said before, it makes this autumn just so important mm-hmm. in that process because if England take two or three steps back, lose confidence, there's more pressure on the management, then you go into the final six nations in a place where you don't want to be. And in that sense, Jones will be looking for a huge improvement and a sense of a coming together. Because mm-hmm. as you say, what's his team? What's his defence? What's his attack? There's a question mark there and those question marks need to be resolved. OK, well, let's look forward to next week. Well, first of all, to mention that the Tyrrells Premier 15s, the Women's League starts next week. We'll have a full... Uh, Roundup as we always do, but just look forward to the Gallagher Premiership. Quinn's Northampton is a Friday night fixture, as we said earlier on. Uh, big question marks there. I think more so for Northampton, simply because they didn't win the opening game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll see there. Uh, Wasex, narrow victory for 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 Was in their opener. I must say that I, I didn't think that Worcester would get so close to them, but it does. It just shows to me that everyone's predictions that Worcester will be the team to go down. They may well still be true, yeah. but it might be a bit more of a scrap than people think. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And as I said earlier about who could, you know, choosing your relegation seat, mm. it seemed to be Worcester was the easy answer because of the investment that Bristol have made. But Alan Solomons is a shrewd coach. He's got a, a good team below him there and they've got some decent players mm-hmm. and I think they will scrap and they will scrap. Mm-hmm. It would have been gut-wrenching to have lost that match because you, yeah. you get off and you get off to a win and you think, well... Where yeah. we can Especially against Wasps. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, great game. I'm probably going to be at that match myself, Wasps against Exeter. Yep. It has all the makings of a, of a really good contest and yeah. looking at the different styles. Exeter are in free-flowing form. and um, Well, it does unless it turns into one of these games where each side has 50 phases each, <laughs> which frankly is not that interesting, actually. <laughs> uh, but we know, we will see. Leicester Newcastle. Well, Dean Dean Richards couldn't go there at a better time, could he? Really, he'll be he'll be giggling, I would think, Dean. Yeah, I mean, what 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 do you do? I suppose if you're Jordan Murphy, at least you've known on Monday. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's that's the only that's the only yeah. positive you can take that he'll have a yeah. full week. And Sarri's, uh, Sarri's Bristol. I mean, big test for Bristol. Yeah, I, I think, think from yeah. Bristol point of view, you want to be realistic. What you don't want to do is go to Saracens and get embarrassed. Yeah, yeah. Because they can do that. Get, 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 so, get something out of the match, get mm-hmm. a point, and mm-hmm. then you've already, you're looking ahead and going, we've got five points already. Mm-hmm. Um, no, they're not, they're not unbeatable. No, no, one is, no one is saying that. But, but they, you know, you, if, you do, if you are to beat Saracens at Allianz Park, you're going to have to play very, very well. Yeah, and they will have the ruthless instinct, the Bath 
were, were lacking. Oh, well, they won't make mis- uh, silly mistakes. Uh, yeah. they, won't, they won't make mistakes like Bath did. And Bath Gloucester, another West Country derby. Now, now from Todd Black, is that the sort of thing you want from if you're Todd Blackadder? You want the free song that will come and the hatred between these two clubs, which should buoy them up? Or would you rather not? Because as we know, form tends to go out of the window when you have when you have very close derbies and you know, you, you you're trying to desperately make sure that you don't give penalties away for you know, for being overzealous. So I can't quite I, I uh, make my mind up about I think that. I think you'd want it. I think yeah, you'd okay. want it. You know, the last thing you want to do is get your play, have to get your players up and and yeah. while there's pressure, get stuck in, lads. Okay. Um yeah. And so Worcester, um a game which I would think Worcester can say to themselves, look, actually, no reason to fear this. Let's let's go there. Let's see what happens. And Steve Diamond, look, look, he, I mean, he, he, I like Steve Diamond because he's very straight. And he said, look, I'm a bit, I'm embarrassed and so are they, and he should yeah, be. Yeah, and, and that would be my one concern for Worcester is I expect Sale that there to be a big reaction from mm-hmm. that performance. They're away from home. It's the first game of the season. Yeah. You're thinking the, the good work we've done the preseason, where was it? Um, I expect to see it again. I think at home they will win that um, probably comfortably. Well, that's all we have time for this week on Brian Moore's Full Contact in association with The Telegraph. Thank you very much to my co-host Gavin Mayers and to my producer, who again is Abby Patterson. She's very chipper because it's a new season and she expects Scotland to win the World Cup <laughs> next year. Please subscribe to the podcast after all. It's absolutely free. Tell everyone about it. But for now, thank you and goodbye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM.